Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Amen. Please be seated. After seeing the gospel reading for today, I considered that this would be a great time to do a sermon series on the book of Hebrews. But the reality is, is there is a pastoral need to address passages like Jesus's words about marriage and divorce. We live in a culture in which some estimate about 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's interesting that of those who are divorced, about 80% of them go on and get remarried. These passages that we heard today have been used to shame those who got a divorce. It's been used to force people to stay in marriages that are abusive and dangerous. Often when Jesus is confronted with questions in the Gospels, the people or the group who are asking the questions aren't really looking for an answer. They're trying to trap him. Mark tells us so much as so today. The Pharisees came and they tried to trick Jesus. When Jesus is in the temple and someone brings him a coin and asks about taxes, they are not trying to figure out what is the ideal tax policy. They want Jesus to get into trouble with the Roman authorities. In today's gospel, Jesus and his disciples, we are told by Mark, have gone to the region of Judea on the other side of Jordan. The geography and the placement of where things happen are not just accidents in the Gospels. They tell us something even deeper. This is the area that is controlled by King Herod Antipas, who had John the Baptist arrested and later beheaded. What was it that John the Baptist had done? He said that Herod should not be married to his brother's wife. The Pharisees, I believe, are not asking Jesus about divorce because they are interested in his thoughts on it, but rather they are hoping that he will get in trouble with the king. There's some disagreement about how common divorce was in Jesus' time. There are wide differences in what rabbis of the time were writing. Some said that divorce was something that should not almost ever happen, and there are other rabbis who were writing at this time and said that a man could divorce his wife if she was a bad cook. There's pretty broad agreement that a woman asking for a divorce would have been unheard of. Women had to bear the brunt of the consequences of divorce. Unmarried women rarely had opportunities to provide for themselves. So begging and prostitution were oftentimes the only choices that they had. Jesus turns the table in his response by placing consequences on men that the law did not. Let's be honest, it's only been recently in American society where domestic violence was seen as simply a family matter. It was not until the 1960s that a woman could open a bank account on her own. Jesus seems pretty clear in his response that marriage is intended to be forever, but what happens when it's not? What do we do when marriages end? 
Here's what the church, both the institution and her members, do not need to do, and that is make people feel ashamed for getting divorced. Every person I have ever counseled about marriage and divorce feels shame, guilt, and constant second thoughts about whether the right decision was made or not. The law entraps us in a system of feeling like we are a failure and that gospel liberates us and brings grace and healing to the broken places of our lives. It goes directly to the places of shame and says, don't feel shame, just feel love. We don't need to shame people because they already feel it. We need to respond with love. Look at what Jesus does in this passage. He offers this really tough teaching on divorce. And then he turns to the children who are there gathered. Deacon Bill reminded us a few weeks ago that children were essentially seen as like non-beings in Jesus' time. It would not have been uncommon for families to sell extra children into slavery or prostitution if the family could not afford the children. The children could just be discarded if they needed to be. Jesus' embrace of these children and saying, look, if you don't welcome this child, how could you ever welcome me is countercultural. What does Jesus do after this tough teaching on marriage? He directs his disciples to love those who get divorced. Let the children, let the discarded, let the forgotten come to me. Do not stop them. For it is such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. What do we do when we encounter people who feel shame and guilt? We let them come to the loving arms of God who desires health and wholeness. Robert Ferrer Capon wrote one of the best books of marriage advice that I have ever read. And the irony is a few, late, uh, excuse me, a few years later, after writing this book, he himself got divorced. He said, I wonder, I wonder if all the French romance poets are the ones to blame for divorce in, America, in society today. He says, I wonder, I wonder if the real problem is, is that we place too high a standards on what marriage is supposed to be. He says, I find myself suddenly tired of explanations that hang our troubles on our moral failings as if life were a contest and deportment with prizes for only those who never lower their standards in life. Doesn't everyone see by now that there never were prizes like that and that the troubles produced by lowered standards are bush league compared to the botches we make in the name of high standards? It's the righteous grand designs that start wars. Man's worst usually only damages a neighborhood. It's his breast and it's his brightest that destroys the world. Accordingly, Capon says, I decide to take a different tack on the question of divorce. How about blaming it on high standards for a change? And I don't mean high in any underhanded sense. None of that snide business about marriage failing because we put too high a value on personal gratification. That's just another way of saying we put too low a value on humility, patience, or 
general wonderfulness. No, no, he says, I want to blame it on genuinely high standards, so high, in fact, that they are, for all practical purposes, new. I have a strong suspicion that no other age has ever expected the level of matrimonial achievement we now routinely demand. And I think that expectation might be the single biggest reason for divorce. Where everybody crawls, nobody breaks his neck falling out of the sky. The troubles, he says, begin when flying lessons become popular. Amen. Amen.